Hey, this is Dave Ryder from Cullamunda Church of Christ. Really praying this podcast blesses you. If you'd like to hear more of our story, how about you go to our webpage, cullamunda.church. I don't think we have to think too much. I've got a couple of pictures that might come to our mind. I mean, there's this picture, we might envision something like that, or maybe something a bit more contemporary like this next one. Or possibly even something that follows like this, a procession like this. These pictures look pretty appropriate to us when it comes to a coronation service because after all, if you're going to crown a king or queen, it's their day, isn't it? It's their day to be crowned and it's our day to observe. I bet you not one of us, including myself, would ever envision a coronation service that looked like this. But that is precisely what this day is all about. This day that we call Good Friday, for some reason, is the day that God became king and this is his moment. That's his moment for him to be crowned and our moment for us to observe and behold. And we call today Good Friday and it's kind of ironic because today we are confronted with something quite ugly with something quite terrifying, a bloody cross. There is absolutely nothing good about this day when you look at a picture like that. And that's a pretty tame picture, isn't it? We've seen other depictions of what happened on that very first Good Friday, and it was a very, very ugly, ugly scene. There's nothing good about this day. In fact, this day is supposed to be very, very dark. It's supposed to be very somber. It's supposed to be stripped back. It's supposed to be kind of awkward. I hope you felt a little bit awkward. I hope you feel that by the end of this service, Dave, this is so unlike you. This is incomplete. I hope you feel that today's incomplete because that's what Good Friday is. It is that kind of day where it's like, mm, it's just something dark. It's something somber. It's just... And we look at this cross. Every generation has to somehow come to terms with that cross. It's such a strange symbol. It's a symbol that transcends generations, race, cultures, revolutions, philosophies, tyrannies, and even empires. That wooden cross finds itself absolutely everywhere, doesn't it? I mean, it's in homes, it's in films, it's in paintings, it's in music videos, it's in jewellery, it's in cemeteries. It's stitched on leather, and yes, it's even inked onto skin as well. That cross finds itself absolutely everywhere. It's a universal symbol that means something, even if we're a little bit unsure as to what exactly it means. But there's one thing we can be certain about, and that is this, that the cross means now what it didn't mean back then, over 2,000 years ago. The Roman Empire, if you didn't know, paraded this cross, this symbol, of suffering and domination. It was used as propaganda. It was used to actually warn people and let people know this is what will happen if anyone dare questions the domination of the Roman Empire over the entire world. Be warned. It was propaganda and very, very effective, by the way. Very effective propaganda. It had a social meaning. It said this, we are superior to you and you are inferior to us. It had a political meaning. 
We're in charge, and you're not. And your nation is nothing, nothing to be, but to be used by us. And it therefore also had a theological or religious meaning as well. It said that the goddess Roma and Caesar, who was seen as the son of a god, that they were superior to any other god who would dare question our authority. That's what the cross meant. But it wasn't actually that piece of wood that was so significant. It was how that piece of wood was used. That actually beckons our attention today. And today, as every single Good Friday of every year, brings us to a stop, brings us to a halt, as we have to fathom and ponder this startling, startling truth, that God used this horrific symbol of destruction and empire domination as a place of Jesus' coronation, as king of the nations on that very first Good Friday. God took that symbol that best depicted and demonstrated human dominance, human arrogance, human triumph, and human intimidation, and he reshaped it. He remolded it. Indeed, he redeemed it. To stand as that one eternal symbol of love and victory over death and sin, and even today the cross stands as a terrifying reminder to every satanic, demonic, and oppressive power that stands behind all of the evil in this world. It stands as a reminder. Your days are numbered. You're on borrowed time. The cross is the place of Jesus' coronation. It's the place where God became king. Jesus was very clear with his life, what his life was about. It says in Mark and also in other Gospels of Mark 1 verse 15, the time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. And everyone knows if you're talking about a kingdom, that means there needs to be a king. And it needs to be a good king. There needs to be a rightful king. I mean, that's why stories like King Arthur and the Lion King, all these different stories, we resonate with them. And whenever we see rulers or leaders who abuse people, that doesn't stick with us. We don't, we, we don't, we don't get that because we understand, we recognize that a kingdom needs a king, but not just a king. A kingdom needs a good king, a rightful king. Well, what was Jesus' goal in his life? Again, there is absolutely no mystery. He was just up front. Luke 9 verse 51 says this, As the time drew near for him to ascend to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Other renderings say that he was determined or his face he set his face towards Jerusalem. Jesus let everyone know what his goal was. His eyes are set towards Jerusalem. And this is possibly the only point where Jesus and his disciples are on the same page because when you set your eyes towards Jerusalem, that means coronation. In the disciples' minds, they're thinking, we're going to coronation. In Jesus' mind, we're going to coronation. They're on the same page. Because for Israel's true king, and indeed the king of the nations, there is only one place where this coronation must occur, and that place is Jerusalem. They're on the same page. But that's about it, really. What would this coronation service look like? Well, again, 
In Luke 18, verse 31 to 34, we get an idea. Taking the 12 disciples aside, Jesus said, Listen, we're going up to Jerusalem, where all the predictions of the prophets concerning the Son of Man will come true. He will be handed over to the Romans, and he will be mocked, treated shamefully, and spit upon. They will flog him and whip him and kill him. But on the third day, he will rise again. But they didn't understand any of this. The significance of his words was hidden from them, and they failed to grasp what he was talking about. See, Jesus and the disciples, they're on the same page as far as the goal. The goal is to get to Jerusalem because that is where the coronation service is going to happen. At every other point, the disciples and Jesus are worlds apart in their thinking. The disciples are thinking it's coronation time. Jesus is thinking it's coronation time. The disciples are thinking this is the moment where all the scriptures pointing. Jesus is saying this is the moment where all the scriptures are pointing. The disciples are saying, so you're going to live? Jesus is saying, no, I'm going to die. In fact, they're going to flog me, they're going to whip me, and they're going to kill me. On the third day, I'm going to rise again. You see, at that point, they are worlds apart. And Jesus does things very, very, uh, very differently. Consider this scene, especially as they're going to Jerusalem. Everyone knows that even in our, in our study of history, as you've gone through even high school and all that, you will um, recognize the scenario of a king going to a city to be crowned a king. And, and he makes his way from village to village, region to region. He has his soldiers. Well, Jesus doesn't have his soldiers. He kind of has his disciples. They weren't carrying swords. They weren't even allowed to carry a staff. But in our mind, when, it, when, it, when someone is going to be crowned king, they go from city to city, village to village, region to region. And as they go into a region, they say, you're either for me or against me, don't they? And if you're for me, great, come along. And their army gets bigger and bigger. But if you're not, well, we're going to conquer you here. You're either for us or against us. You either come with us or... That's how earthly kings head towards a coronation service. You see, when God heads towards a coronation service, he goes from village to village, region to region. But there's no force. Because as he takes territory, he heals the sick. He casts out demons. He sits with outsiders. He brings in and he makes people truly human. You see, when God does something, it's completely different. Same goal, heading towards the city, coronation service. An earthly king will take a sword. Jesus just happened to take the kingdom. And everyone knew this. Everyone knew that's how you kind of did it. Even the disciples. I can show you. The disciples didn't have, were off the, on, on a different page. Listen to the disciples. Luke 9 verse 52. He sent messages, uh, messengers ahead to a Samaritan village to prepare for his arrival. But the people in the village did not welcome Jesus because he was on his way to Jerusalem. All right? So Jesus, on his way to Jerusalem, goes to the Samaritan village. They do not receive him. What would another king do? Well, when James and John saw this, they said to Jesus, this is hilarious, by the way, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to burn them up? They're on a different page here. But Jesus turned and rebuked them, for the Son of Man has not come to destroy people's lives, but to save them. So they went to another village. James and John were wanting to flex their muscle, just like an earthly king or earthly soldiers would. 
And they wanted to flex their muscle in that village in anticipation of what they expected to happen when they finally got to Jerusalem. They wanted to call down fire there. Guess what they expected to happen in Jerusalem when they finally got there? It is on. We're going to call down fire. And why not? They saw the power of Jesus. Earthly kings take territory by force. God takes territory by healing the sick, by casting out oppressive spirits, by bringing restoration and celebrating with his people. That's how our God moves. Jesus, James and John, well, they're worlds apart. Absolute worlds apart. Palm Sunday, we celebrated that this this last Sunday and there are actually two triumphal entrances um, that occur on Palm Sunday. Just a couple of days before the coronation service for Jesus as king. One of these entrances is written for us in scripture. The other one's actually recorded for us in antiquity. Um, A lot of Christians don't realise that there's actually, in that moment, there are actually two entrances that happen. It's Passover. So Pontius Pilate doesn't really like coming to Jerusalem. Doesn't really push his buttons. But his responsibility is to make sure that there is no rebellious act, that anything that is an upsurge will be snuffed out and stamped out. That's his responsibility. And the threat is that this is going to happen on any given Passover because Passover is the celebration and remembrance of God's definitive act of bringing his people out of um, Egypt. So if it's going to happen at any time, it's going to happen during Passover. So if the chances are something's going to happen in Passover, Pilate's going to be in Jerusalem during Passover, even though he would much rather be somewhere else. So Pilate enters through the main gate on Palm Sunday with his soldiers riding a horse. The other triumphal procession is actually written for us in Scripture where Jesus enters the east gate of the city, not the main gate, but the east gate of the city, Not on a war horse, but he's riding a donkey. And Israel's scripture informs everyone what this means because when you actually do come into the city and you are riding a horse, that is a declaration of war. Pontius Pilate is declaring war. But if any king actually came in riding a donkey, that's a declaration of peace. In this one same moment, you have war and peace coming head to head. Two triumphal entrances. And Jesus and Pontius Pilate, well, they're worlds apart as well, aren't they? Jesus and Israel, they're worlds apart. Jesus and the disciples are worlds apart. Jesus and Pilate are worlds apart. And the reality is, we're still worlds apart today. Because that symbol that is tattooed on that young man's arm and that cross that is found hanging around that lovely lady's neck That cross still means something today. It still means something today. The time has come, Jesus said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Repent. Rethink everything. Rethink your entire life. Rethink how God moves, how God takes regions. Rethink absolutely everything in light of who Jesus is, who this king is, and what this kingdom represents. And that should touch and affect and mess with every single part of our life. 
not just our family life, not just our church life, but our vocation out there, the way that we interact with people, the way that we smile or we treat someone even in a church, it should affect everything, it should mess with us, rethink everything. When Jesus died on that cross, something happened. And by 6 o'clock that evening, on the very first Good Friday, the entire world was different. Let me say that. Let me actually um, correct that. By 6 o'clock on that very first Good Friday, the entire cosmos was different. Not just the world, the cosmos. Sin had been lured by the giving of the law and condemned in the body of Jesus, just as Paul lets us know in Romans 7 and Romans 8. And from a heavenly vantage point, the moment must have been so incredible to behold. Matthew 27 verse 50 to 54 says this, And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At the moment, the curtain, understand this, at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. That's significant. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of their tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those who were, with, uh, who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he is the Son of God. In that moment, the barrier between God and man is removed. At that moment, the coronation of, of Jesus, service of Jesus had occurred. And at that same moment, the curtain is torn from top to bottom. On that curtain are images representing the cosmos or this present evil age. And at that moment, that curtain that represents this cosmos, this present evil age, is torn, is ripped from top to bottom. And it is at that point, Jesus says, it is finished. That is now finished. And then on Sunday, in a couple of days, something brand new begins. We're going to take a moment to share in communion. So if you grab your elements. This is a significant day for us as followers of Jesus. Friday, Saturday and Sunday. There's a lot of followers of Jesus who mistakenly think that this is a public holiday. No, it's not. This is not a public holiday for followers of Jesus. This is a sacred time. This is a time. Everything that we believe hinges on this. There is no more significant portion of time in our yearly calendar than Good Friday, Easter Saturday, and Resurrection Sunday. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul speaking to the church in Corinth. And he says this, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread. He gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. Let's take the bread and let's... Eat together this morning.
from verse 25. Paul goes on and says, In the same way he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's drink together, church. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for every part of it, the somberness of it, the darkness of it, the incompleteness of it, remembering or trying to imagine what that day would have looked like, trying to engraft ourselves into this story that is who we are. As we go from this place today and tomorrow, as we consider what it would have been like for those disciples for Jesus' own mother, to see Jesus hanging on a cross, the hope of Israel, their hope, dying and then waiting. Not knowing, as we do, what happens on Resurrection Sunday. Not knowing. I ask that we would contemplate in the wait and consider the significance of this day and what it means, not just for us, but for the entire cosmos. For you have indeed made new creation and you are in the process of renovating this entire cosmos. I pray a blessing over these beautiful people, over their families. And I ask that this day there'll be moments where the significance of this day would catch them off guard. It will bring tears to their eyes to remember our beautiful Jesus, crowned king, king of the nations, and his coronation service that happened upon that terrifying, bloody cross. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, that's the end of our service. And um, like I said, I'm hoping that it feels incomplete. I'm hoping it feels a little bit awkward. I'm hoping it feels a little bit dark because that's what Good Friday is about. And I encourage you as you go through um, today and tomorrow, just to remember, read through Scripture and try to get yourself in the story. And um, Resurrection Sunday, it's not going to be dark. It's not going to be awkward. It's going to be celebration and dancing and rejoicing. And we will see you here at 9 o'clock, Resurrection Sunday, to celebrate our risen Jesus. Amen. Be blessed today, beautiful church.